Good morning. How you doing? All right. You feel the same way I do about the weather. I'm sure that's what it is. We're doing good. I'm glad you're doing good this morning. Um, if you're a guest with us, my name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at New Hope, and I'm glad to be preaching for you this morning. We're starting a new series called The Bigger Picture, and it's about uh, kind of formed around a lot of uh, different passages of Scripture, but we're going to be preaching about the mission Jesus has called us to and the values that kind of help uh, direct our church uh, as well over the next five weeks. We're going to be looking at that. And it kind of came from, the t- title of this series kind of came from a phrase that one of my professors used to say to me in graduate school. Um, he used to say all the time, because we would get all worked up about writing papers, all worked up about grades, all worked up about times we had to go and preach in front of professors and stuff. We would just kind of get um, anxiety about our schoolwork, and a lot of you can probably relate to that, whether it's schoolwork or, or parenting or whatever. And he would always kind of calm us down and just say, hey, don't get caught up in the trees and miss the forest. Now, don't get caught up in the trees of this one assignment, miss the forest, of your entire experience here at the school and what God might do to you in this experience. And so that's always just kind of replayed in my mind each time I face a, a difficult situation or a difficult conversation or come out of a difficult meeting or hear difficult news. I can hear his voice. And many of you may be familiar with him, Dr. Bob Lowry. Uh, he's been to New Hope a few times years and years ago. And I can just hear his voice. Hey, don't get caught up in the trees and miss the forest. And so that's the point of this uh, sermon series is that a lot of things go on in a church. A lot of great experiences and some bad experiences. A lot of joyous times and some frustrating times. And the encouragement uh, to be reminded of what Jesus has actually called us to do and to be reminded of the core values of the church is, is a way of saying, hey, let's not get caught up in the trees as a church and miss the forest of what God might be doing through this collective group of people that are pursuing his son Jesus Uh, here on this earth. And so I'm excited to launch this series today, but I want to give you just a couple things to be thinking about. Um, One, if you're a guest with us, you've got this white card in the seat that's in front of you, and I love these white cards. They might frustrate some people, but let me tell you why I love them. Because of yesterday. Because yesterday, uh, we took a printed sheet that had listed all of the prayer requests on this form, and we prayed over them as elders. That was pretty cool. I love being able to gather with that group of men each Saturday morning and pray over the requests that you write on these cards that are kept between our staff and elders only. And so it's an opportunity for you to fill out a prayer request. It's also an opportunity for you to fill out something that you're interested in here at our church so that we can connect you to get you connected into this place so Sunday morning becomes more than a seat in in an auditorium. And it also gets us information so that we can follow up with you and make sure that your experience here was what we hope that it is, which is pleasant and welcoming and focused on Jesus. And so if you'd fill that card out, at the end of our services, we have a time of offering where we kind of give back our gifts based on what the Lord has given to us, and a tray will be passed. You just drop that in the tray. Uh, It'll let us know that you were here, uh, which is really important to us. So even if you're like, I've been here for so many years, you should know I'm here. It's hard. Um, And so you'd really help us out when you just put your name on it. You don't have to fill anything else. Your name or anything you're interested in want prayer about. So thank you for doing that for us. In addition to that, let me just kind of tell you my excitement for this new year that we're in as a church and some of the things that I think God is doing in this place, not only physically through the building, but through different ministry opportunities that we have. I mean, we're praying, we're asking you to keep praying about our opportunity with the Mountain House as we reach out to those who are in need and just ask that you pray about that, ask that you get engaged when we have opportunities for you to volunteer. Uh, All kinds of ministry opportunities coming our way. And the most important thing, I think, is what we're going to talk about today, which is the vision God has given to our church. 
So very excited about that. The way I correlate is this. My wife is pregnant. My wife is very pregnant right now, and uh, she is really tired of being pregnant, okay? I don't know what that feels like, but I kind of like can see like, man, she's tired of this. And one month from today, our son will be born, and we're pretty excited about that. Uh, but I feel like New Hope is pregnant. I feel like we're on the verge of this thing, and we're like, man, something's coming. The Lord is about to bless us in a big way. And I have a tangible way to look. Every day I go home, I'm like, Sarah's very, very pregnant. And I'm like, then I come to work, and I'm like, our church feels very, very pregnant. And I'm just ready for someone to give birth, right? <laughs> and physically, our child will be born. But I think 2017 is going to be the year that God really begins to bless, and we begin to experience some really cool things here at our church. And I think it starts with what we're going to talk about today. So I want to pray for us, and we'll jump in. If you have a Bible, uh, not while I'm praying, because that'd be weird, and you'd feel weird, whatever. <laughs> but after I'm done praying, you get your Bible open. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Luke chapter 9, two different spots this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you that right now this is not about a stage. This is about a group of people that love Jesus or a group of people that are wanting to check him out and learn about him. And we just kind of come together, God, and we want to open your word. We want to keep it simple. We want to be consistent. We just want to open the Bible. And we want to learn what you have to say to us. And we want to walk out of this place being challenged by your word, by nothing else except your word. So if something is said, Father, that you want forgotten, may it be so. But Father, as you speak to us through your word this morning, if you want something on our hearts, pierce our hearts. Uh, Father, we might leave here different because of our encounter with your word this morning. We might begin to fulfill and live out the purposes that you have in our lives. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, came across this illustration in a book, um, but uh, it had to do with a podcast I listened to. Many of you may have listened to the podcast Serial, a uh, very famous podcast at this point. And um, it just details, uh, this lady tells these stories, and she's just masterful at telling stories. They're kind of uh, one has to do with a, a, a imprisonment, and the other one has to do with a, prison, uh, a soldier going AWOL. And she tells these stories through a series of podcasts. And it's fascinating because she'll relay a part to you, and you'll be hanging, but then she'll say something else to you in the next podcast. You're like, whoa, I didn't see that. Wow, I'm seeing more. And she said she got that uh, format of storytelling from this little children's book. It's called Zoom. I love this book. Uh, my father-in-law, David, dropped this off at our house, um, and... This is an incredible book. When you open this children's book, there are no words in the entire book. Now, all this children's book is is a series of pictures. And so when you open the picture up, you get an image like this one. I don't know if you can see it. You get this pointed thing, and you're not quite sure what it is. But the, you turn the page, and you realize, okay, it's part of a bigger picture. Okay? I thought I, I, I started to take some guesses on what it is. And so now I'm thinking, uh, I, I think I know what this rooster, it's a rooster. But then you're like, wait a second, it's a rooster with some kids actually looking out a window at it. It's not maybe what you thought it was going to be, and then you kind of keep going, and it's right, but the kids are looking through a window here, and it just keeps panning out over and over and over again until you realize through a series of pictures that this is just a, an image on, on a magazine as you keep going. You're like, wait a second, no way. And then it pans back again, and you realize it's actually a toy person that's holding a magazine on a cruise ship, and it keeps panning out and panning out and panning out until you realize it's actually a picture of a globe, and then pan out, pan out, pan out, and then it's just a little dot, and you, the, the furthest thing from your mind now is that very first picture of that rooster. You can't see it. And so the point of the book is that there's always a bigger picture. 
The point of the book is to communicate to kids, but really to each and every one of us, that there is usually a bigger picture of what's going on around us, each of our experiences, each of our circumstances. Every decision you make has a ripple effect. Every ripple effect goes out further and further and further. Every decision you make has a consequence. To every consequence, there is a series of consequences that can take place that come all the way back to one single decision that you make. And so often... My life gets tunnel visioned on one decision and I fail to see the bigger picture. It's like I'm incapable of kind of stepping back and seeing, okay, God, what might you be doing in the midst of this? Even in this experience that I'm not enjoying, this pain that I'm feeling, this agony that I feel, this frustration that I feel. And yet, the story of the Bible is that God takes each and every one of those circumstances and it's like he zooms out. He begins to show you as your life goes on that everything that you're a part of is a part of a bigger picture of what he's doing in the world and what he can do in the world. See, this plays out over and over and over again in your Bibles. As a church, we're going this year, we've challenged everybody to read the Bible together, and we're using an app called the Read Scripture app. And we're challenging each person. I know you might have a lot of different uh, Bible reading plans, and we're asking you to either do these in addition to it or pause those and join us as a church body reading through the entire Scriptures together in a year. And this app has some interactive videos and a plan, and you can do it on an electronic device, but we've also put the PDF on the website so you can download it and print it out, or we'll print it out for you, because we believe that God is going to do something powerful when all of his people in an entire church body come alongside one another and we read the scriptures together. I'll tell you this, there's many other churches using the same app, reading the same scriptures together. So what a cool image to think. As I read my devotions, countless other Christians are reading the same passage of scripture with me. And this past week, as we were reading through the Read Scripture app, we came across the story of Joseph in Genesis chapters 38 through 50. Don't feel bad if you weren't reading it. Just jump in tomorrow morning and join us. Uh, you don't have to go back and catch up. You're like 38, you're on chapter 38. Whoa. Just, just jump in tomorrow morning. But in the story of Joseph, you begin to see this principle of this Zoom principle kind of come out, the bigger picture. Joseph's an arrogant young teenager when we first encounter him in chapter 38. He has a dream given to him by God, this vision of his future. And what does he do? He goes and he brags about that vision to his brothers. And what do his brothers do? They do what all good big brothers would do. They beat him up and they throw him in a hole. And when he's in this hole, because of his arrogance, they sell him into slavery. And so now he becomes a slave. And you're thinking, what? this is like the rooster picture. Like, what, is, what could this possibly be? God, you gave him this incredible dream. What could it possibly be? He gets sold to a, a, a soldier named Potiphar, and he rises the ranks in Potiphar's home, and, and he's leading everything. Well, Potiphar's wife is uh, not a good lady, and so she comes on to him. He rejects it. She lies about it. He gets thrown in prison. And when he's thrown in prison, he climbs the ranks of the prison officials. He's running the entire prison when a cupbearer and a baker encounter him. And they'd say, oh, yeah, we'll remember you for interpreting our dreams. They forget all about him. He spends two more years in the prison until ultimately he's released to go interpret a dream of the most powerful human on the earth, the Pharaoh. He climbs the ranks. And before you know it, you'll get to chapter 50 here on Tuesday morning, I believe, or Tuesday sometime when you're reading your devotions. You'll get to chapter 50 where he's faced with his brothers again. And you're thinking, what now? What's going to happen now? And we know the big picture, but he didn't know the big picture. And the same kid that forgives his brothers in chapter 50 was not going to be capable of doing that back in chapter 38. And it took all this series of experiences to mature him and to grow him and to prepare him to be able to do what God needed him to do. Friends, that's the same story that we live each and every day. Every experience you have, God will use it. And you might be thinking, no, you don't understand. God, there's some things in my heart that are hidden that I'm not going to tell anybody about. I've got some sin that I struggle with. God will use it. 
As he begins to redeem you, he will mature you, he will teach you. And he will let you see as you journey with him the bigger picture throughout your life. Now, Jesus modeled this for us. I mean, this isn't just Rob coming up with some cool ideas. Like, Jesus modeled this for us in Scripture. Jesus was so focused on his mission. And he did a hundred other things, but he never got deterred from his mission. See, this is illustrated in the Gospel of Luke. In your Bible, if you were to open up the Gospel of Luke and you were to read through the first eight chapters, I think the driving question in the first eight chapters is, who is Jesus? And through a series of interactions with people and a series of miracles and different things that he does, he kind of answers that question. You get to this pivotal moment in chapters 7 and 8 where Peter begins to realize this and he declares that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And so, man, the question's been answered. He is Jesus. He is God's son. And now what does it mean to follow him? And I think from chapters 9 through the end of the book, really the big question is what does it mean to follow him? Because Jesus immediately after his identity is revealed begins to invite people immediately to follow him. And then you get this picture through the rest of the Gospel of Luke of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here's the principle I want you to know as we look at just a couple verses in Luke. That to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus in your life means that we approach the mission he's given to us the same way he approached the mission that was given to him. Understand that. I know that might feel elementary as I say it out loud here for a second, but, but church, this year, 2017, New Hope, I want you to take seriously this statement that the mission that God has given to me in my life, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, I have to model my approach to that mission the same way that Jesus modeled the approach to the mission that he was given. And that all starts in chapter 9, verse 51 of the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to chapter 9. And in verse 51 of chapter 9, this is what it says. Now, Jesus has done all kinds of things. Just a simple verse, but man, it's powerful. He says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, meaning his time had now come. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, people are looking to see what Jesus might do. And over and over and over again, he'll do these powerful things. And they'll think that all of a sudden something big is about to happen. And he'll drop one of these statements that says, hey, my time has not yet come. It's, It's not time for that yet. But now as Jesus is walking through life, the mission placed on his life, it's time to begin executing that mission. And in chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face, or some translations accurately say he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Picture this for a minute. All these different things going on around Jesus. All these people wanting his attention all these sick people being healed, all of these other people wanting to hear his teaching, all of these other, this other group of people really wanting to come after him because they think he's a blasphemer and they want to kill him and they want to plot against him. And, and thousands of people are just intrigued by him and they just want to, what is this? I, I, w- I want to see this show that everybody's talking about. And they're coming from all over the place and then he's doing these miracles and he's teaching his disciples and all of that in the midst of it, all of this possible distraction. You think you're overwhelmed. You think you're busy. You think your schedule's full. Man, Jesus had all of us beat. And in the midst of all of it, chapter 9, verse 51 just jumps out. It says, in the midst of all that, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. In the midst of everything else that's going on, I've got to get to Jerusalem. And he's got this hope, this vision, this mission that he knows he's supposed to accomplish. And then you begin to read the rest of chapter 9 and then to chapter 10, and you begin to see he starts going toward Jerusalem, and he visits all kinds of towns. 
And, you, and you, in chapters 11, 12, and 13, and 14, you start to, he starts to teach through parables, and all these people start to come and heal, uh, hear him. And then he begins to heal sick people and diseased people and deformed people. And he begins to do acts of mercy for all kinds of people. And he begins to interact with the Pharisees who are accusing him of healing on the Sabbath. And yet he responds to that. And all of the time, he's just kind of gradually, slowly moving toward his mission. You see, nothing was going to stop Jesus from getting to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him or distract him. It was all about, I have to get there. And so you fast forward all the way to chapter 19. And he interacts with this guy named Zacchaeus, who was what? Come on. A wee little man. All right, I uh, was visiting, some of you know David and Donna Lynn. And uh, I was over with them last weekend. And uh, I was in their home, and their son-in-law and daughter with their first grandchild showed up to the house, and we were all hanging out and having a good time, and they, they have a little dog. I call it a rat dog. Some of you might have one. Can't tell if it's a rat or a dog. It's like small. It's still better than a cat, but it's, it's just small, all right? And it's running around, and I'm like, oh, man, what's the dog's name? Zacchaeus. And I was like, what? He's a wee little doggy. I'm like, oh, you didn't do that. <laughs> oh, why did you do that? Now it's stuck in my head forever. Every small dog is Zacchaeus, so that was free. Thanks for coming. So Zacchaeus interacts with Jesus. And Zacchaeus is a powerful example of Jesus loving and caring and pouring into somebody. And it changes his life. And yet in the midst of it, in the midst of all of it, Jesus comes back to his mission statement, chapter 19, verse 10, when he says this. For the Son of Man, as good as this feels to be in your home and to be with all of you, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was so lost before Jesus encountered him. You notice Jesus didn't spend all of his time with the people that liked him and approved of him. Jesus didn't spend the bulk of his time with the people that affirmed him and made him feel good. Jesus didn't spend his whole time just gathered together. He scattered. And he went. And he, he went intentionally. And right before he enters into Jerusalem, he had that powerful statement, chapter 10. If you jump down to verse 28, it says, And then when he had said all of these things, he teaches about us uh, taking and leveraging everything that the Lord gives us. He teaches one more parable. Leverage everything God gives you for the mission that God has granted to you. Everything God has given you. Zoom out. See the big picture. Hold on to the big picture. Every experience God can use. And if that's true, every experience we go through, at some point, no matter how painful that experience is, tragic, heartbreaking, and difficult, and frustrating, and annoying, at some point in the healing process, we have to stop, and we have to stop asking the question, why? Because that's what will drive us nuts. Instead, you shift your attention to the because of. Because of this, Lord. What's the big picture? What's the bigger picture in this circumstance? And Jesus says, leverage everything for that truth because God will take everything you go through and minister to you. And then he says, in verse 28, it says, when he had said all of these things, he went on ahead going up into Jerusalem. See, Jesus never stopped on his mission. 32%, 32% of Luke's gospel is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. I think he's trying to communicate to, to us. I think Luke's trying to say, Jesus was resolutely set toward his mission. And that truth, that the same exact way that Jesus approached his mission is the same way he wants us to approach the mission he's given to us. You might be saying, well, Rob, I don't know what the mission is that he gave to us. Well, I'm so glad that you asked. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lays out for us exactly the mission that God has given to each and every one of us as a church. And in 2017, my challenge to you is going to be pretty bold. 
when it comes to this mission. But let's detail what this mission is. Chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says this, From now on, therefore, now that you have seen Jesus, now that you know the bigger picture of who Jesus is, now that Jesus is more than a teacher, he's more than a miracle worker, he's son of God who came and lived the life that you couldn't live for yourself, and then Jesus died the death that you deserve to die, but he died it for you, and then he defeated death and resurrected. Because of that truth, he says, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him as thus no longer. He's saying, zoom out. We see the bigger picture now when we relate to people because of what Jesus did. There's a bigger picture. We're not caught on page one. We're at the end of the book now. We can, we can zoom out and see things differently. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's two times he says this in that one run-on. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. And in this run-on sentence, here's what Paul says. Two times. And here's a, here's a rule of Bible study. You can write this down. If it's repeated, it's important. Okay, when you're studying or reading your Bible, if something's repeated, it's important. It warrants you highlighting and revisiting. And here, this is repeated twice in this passage. And here's what he says. He says, God came through Jesus and he reconciled you in the midst of your sin and the horrible things that were hidden in your heart and the things that you did that were wrong, the things that you did that hurt other people, the things that you did that would make you feel horrible. God came and the Bible tells us at just the right time while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. And Paul's saying he died for you and reconciled you to your heavenly father. But Paul makes no grammatical break. When he says, in the same moment when you were reconciled, you were entrusted with reconciliation. So not only were you reconciled to God, you were entrusted with the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And he keeps going here, verse 20. Therefore, because of that, you're an ambassador for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Think about how powerful that is. You can read that a hundred times and it might just, man, that's powerful. Pause for a second and just dwell on that just for a second. You're like, dude, you're going on about this. I'm going on about this. Just listen, hear, hear it out. The creator of the universe wants to make his appeal to lost people through you. Think about it. He created everything. He is the big picture. And yet he wants to reach lost and hurting people through you. God is appealing to the lost through the saved. And he says, because of that, you're an ambassador, which means every single place you go, church, you represent something bigger, the bigger picture, bigger than yourselves. Wherever you go, you represent a bigger picture. Whenever you go places and people are, their whole life is just wrapped up in the trees, you get to represent pointing out the forest. Don't get caught in the trees and miss what, the, what God's doing around you, friends. And Paul is screaming this off the page. And then he brings it back home. I love this. He never fails to do this. Verse 21, because for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus who didn't have any sin in him to become sin for you so that your life could have purpose and meaning and value, that you might be reconciled and entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So here is my challenge to us that you would understand that when God saved you, he also sent you. Like, hold on to that truth for a minute. The moment you came out of the waters of baptism, 
you came up. The Bible says that you are a brand new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And then he just sent you out into the world. Now, we're not going to actually do that. It would be kind of weird to actually baptize someone and then shove them out of the baptistry. But that's the image. Like, you're, you're baptized, go. Like, you're, you're reconciled to God, now go entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Just picture that. The, the Lord sent you out to go and be his hands and feet, his voice, to make his people that he loves and cares about aware of reconciliation and the possibility of their sin being forgiven and their life being changed forever. You see, that's the purpose of why we come together this morning. We don't come together so you can rate me on whether or not I'm doing a good job preaching. For the first however many years that I would preach, that's all I'd care about. Did I do a good job? Was it good? Was it funny? Did people like it? That's irrelevant. We come together to be reminded of this truth that Jesus loves each and every one of you and he wants you to go. He wants your life to have purpose and meaning. He wants you to be a part of the bigger picture. Do you see, let me, let me say it this way. The purpose of us gathering is to prepare us for scattering. Everything we do on Sunday morning is to prepare us to scatter from this place and be ambassadors for Jesus. To prepare the world to hear this message of reconciliation. And some of you might not like that. You might say, no, that's not true. Church is about this and this and this. Find it in the Bible. I'm telling you, Paul's pleading with you. He says, we, we just appeal to you to be reconciled. And he wants us to go and scatter. So here's my challenge for you. This year, 2017, as an individual as a family and as a church family, let this be the year that we own this vision. We don't just rent it. Be owners of it. Don't let it be this thing that you kind of participate in every once in a while when you show up to New Hope on New Hope's campus, the disciples making disciples. It's really cool when I'm at church. Own it this year. Now, let me ask, any, anybody in the church ever own a rental property? Anybody here ever own a rental property? Okay. In my whole life, all I ever did was live in rental properties. Okay, we lived in apartment complexes. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, and it was apartment complex to uh, trailer park to apartment complex, all these different places that we would move around when I was younger. And so I watched my family and how they treated rental properties. And, and many of you that have tenants, you're like, oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, whoa. You're absolutely right. The way that people treat rental properties is unbelievable, right? And the way that I treated rental properties was a whole lot different than back in 2009 when my wife and I bought the house that we currently live in. The first home my entire life that I ever owned and lived in. And boy, do I treat it different than I treated something that I rented. See, when you own something, you treat it a whole lot better. You pay attention to the little things. You want to enhance it. You want to make it more beautiful. You want to improve it so that when you leave, it's worth more. It's valuable. It's awesome. It's great. That's the challenge I've got for this church and for you this year is that you would own the vision that God's given us. Everywhere that God's people go, every single place that God's people arrive, they should make it more beautiful and appealing to the rest of the world. Every word that we speak, we should be owners of this mission that God has put into our lives. Every single circumstance we find ourselves in, we should be a group of people that try to see the bigger picture. Every single person that we encounter, we should be thinking and processing and praying that God would somehow allow us to be the vehicle that he appeals to them to be reconciled to their heavenly father. We cannot continue to be a group of people who just suck the life out of the different places that we go as Christians. Like I am so guilty of in so many different areas. If I don't like the music or I don't like the preaching that day or, or even when I leave this place, if I'm unhappy at a restaurant that I go to or whatever, I make it all about me and God is saying, no, it's got to be all about you breathing the beauty of the gospel into the different places that you go. My neighbors should see Jesus with more clarity because I live next door to them. 
if I'm taking this mission seriously. My coworkers, when you go into your workplace, they should see Jesus with greater clarity, not a moralistic, therapeutic deist who simply obeys the rules and points at them when they don't. We should be engaging with them, showing them hospitality, loving them, speaking truth to them, caring for them. The world, when it's hurting, should want to come to the church because we show them what it looks like for God to care and take care of them. We cannot continue to make our faith and our mission and our vision as a church or as individuals about us because when you take, 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 you suffocate. Let me illustrate it this way. Please be careful when participating in this. If you can't participate, don't force it. I don't want people passing out. But if you were to just simply take... Here's what that's like. Take a deep breath. Hold it. Don't exhale. Now, when we just take and take and take and take, we just breathe in, breathe in. Christianity, the church, faith, theology, it's all about me. Take another deep breath. Don't exhale. Yep. Take, 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 take. Take one more. Like, oh, Rob, what are you doing? Breathe. It's brutal. It's brutal. When all you do is breathe in, all you do is take, 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 you will eventually suffocate. We have to breathe out. We have to exhale the beauty of the gospel into the different places that we go because the world is desperately wanting it. Your goal in life, the mission that you have, God says, is when you get to heaven, bring as many people with you as you can. As many people with you as you can. And sometimes that means you sacrifice your preferences for his purposes. Sometimes that means that you put yourself aside so that you can breathe out the gospel and appeal to a lost world with Jesus. And so there's three different ways I want you to live this out this year. Three specific ways. The first way is this. I want you to engage the lost. You'll hear these around our church a lot. Engage the lost and those who are hurting and they're far from God. We have to take seriously what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that I will go, Lord, I will be the instrument by which you appeal to the lost world. Every word I say, every person I encounter, I'm going to love them. I'm going to care for them. How many of you would say that the moment that God saved you, he called you into ministry, that you're a minister? You don't hear that often. Many of you grew up and you called the people that worked on the church staff ministers. But we're not ministers. Nobody on our church staff is a minister. We're the equippers of the ministers. You're the ministers. God has called you to go. And when you come to this place to get equipped to go, that's what he's called us to do. That's what I want the rest of my life to be about, equipping ministers to go and do the ministry of reconciliation in the world. So engage the lost. Don't point out that they're lost. Don't point fingers at them. Don't make them feel isolated. Allow people in this church to show up and belong even before they believe. That's not a gimmicky phrase. A lot of churches say that. I want it to be true in this place. Let people be here. Let them, let them come to your discipleship group. Let them engage with your people. Let them see what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. Engage them. Don't point them out. Engage with them. Equip the church is the second thing. Begin to view every experience that you have through a zoom-out lens and begin to see, Lord, you're doing something here. Every conversation, every experience, every person I encounter, it's all about making him famous. It's all about pointing to Jesus. Every experience, this is shown all throughout scripture. Imagine King David, if you know your Old Testament, when he was a young boy and he was taking harp lessons and learning to play the harp, who could have ever thought that that ability to play the harp would put him into King Saul's court? And he was entrusted by the king of the land because of his ability to play the harp. He never would have thought that when he was taking harp lessons or when he was using his little slingshot and protecting sheep and his dad's flock, protecting them from animals that were coming in. Who could have possibly thought in that moment where he's just learning how to use a slingshot, that one day he would be the person who would lead a nation out of captivity from an entire group of people by killing Goliath with that same slingshot. 
Who would have thought that when he was running from King Saul and he was hiding in all these different caves, scared for his life, that in those moments he would learn how to pen his words and share his heart and we would get the book of Psalms that thousands of years later teach us to do the same. Do not discount what God might equip you to do in 2017 with all of your experiences and the difference that he'll make in your life and in, honestly in the lives that are all around you when you learn to see the bigger picture in your life. We as a church begin to see the bigger picture. It's not about new hope. It's about God's kingdom. So we're going to offer discipleship trainings this year. This is the purpose of our discipleship groups. This is why. This is why we do discipleship groups off our campus during the week, and we don't do them on Sunday morning. Because the lost, the people, the neighbors, they need to see all the cars in your driveway and then ask you the next morning why all those cars were there. They need to know that on this certain night of the week, I don't do other things because I need to be with these group of people doing discipleship. The world needs to see what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. And then when you show up here on Sunday morning, the whole purpose of everything we do on Sunday morning should be equipping us with gathering to equip us for scattering. That's the purpose of Sunday mornings. We refocus, realign ourselves with the truth of the gospel to prepare ourselves to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, appealing to a lost world that reconciliation is possible only because of Jesus. The last way is this. I want you to encourage those who are hurting. We live in a culture where more and more people are going to be hurting. And they don't need the church to add to that hurt. So we speak truth in love. We wrap our arms around people that are going through a difficult time, that are struggling with different things. Man, if someone hadn't decided to come to me, I never would have been where I'm at today. I never would have stepped foot in the doors of the church that I ended up going to. But instead, a group of people decided they were going to come out to the park where I used to hang out. They had the courage to come out to this park and make fools of themselves trying to play basketball. Because of that courage, because they understood the mission, it changed my life forever. I'm about to welcome my fourth son, and that truth is never lost on me. Each time I look at the beautiful children God's blessed me with, and the beautiful wife that I have. It's never lost on me. This wouldn't be here if someone didn't come. If they didn't stop viewing the church as a gathering place where we cater to the needs of the people that are here instead of preparing to go to the lost, I wouldn't be here. And that same truth could be true of a kid that's not here yet. So my challenge to you is you encourage the hurting. Look, we have, look, this is what I want to do in 2017. We have the executive director of the Boone County mentoring partnership and the program director are members of our church and they are looking for mentors to mentor kids that were in the same place that I was in what would it look like New Hope if we overwhelmed them with mentors starting tomorrow we're going to have a link on our website that you can click on and you can get signed up to get trained and prepared to go and mentor a kid in Boone County what would it look like If every one of us decided, I'm going to do it, it's uncomfortable, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just going to do it, I'm going to change a life. I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples apart from the walls of this church. And what if the job of the Boone County Mentoring Partnership became not recruiting, because they they didn't have to recruit anymore. It just came equipping and preparing and resourcing those mentors to have an impact on the lives of those kids. It's one tangible way. You don't only have to serve on this campus, but you can Our children's ministry is always looking for people to serve. Always. Our student ministry needs middle school sponsors. 
And so volunteer, give of your time to come and be a middle school sponsor and encourage those who are hurting and equip the church and engage the lost through serving in our, we're, we're meeting today, all cards on the table and we're developing a hospitality ministry and we're gonna work hard to get it ready to receive you to come and serve. All you gotta do is shake a hand, have a warm smile and tell someone that Jesus loves them today. I'm telling you, 2017 can be a year where everything changes here, where we're no longer pregnant but we're running around chasing little ones because it's going crazy because God blessed it unbelievably. This could be that year if we take seriously the mission he's placed on our heart. Let me leave you with this truth. If, if we reduce following Jesus to one to two hours on a church campus in a building, then we're going to miss the bigger picture of what God's doing in the world, bringing heaven to earth. If we reduce what it means to follow Jesus to simply one to two hours on a campus in a building, we will miss the bigger picture. Let this be the year that you own that as a family. You decide we will be disciples making disciples. That's priority one. Let this be the year you own that as an individual. I will begin to live out this mission. I will model it. I will resolutely set my face toward heaven. And I might do a lot of things in between, but when I arrive, I'm bringing as many people with me as I can. That's our heart. Will it be yours this year? Let's pray.